Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson, a podcast by dealers for dealers. Here we go. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Very good. Live in Atlanta, Georgia. We're in a cave. We're in a stolen conference room (laughs) reporting to you for this week's episode coming straight out of 20 Group. Luke, what a great couple of days. We got together with some of our favorite dealer friends. Yep. We shared ideas. We did. And, um, you know, Jeff, you and I have have been in 20 Group together. We were in opposite, not opposite, other 20 Groups before now. Mm -hmm. But the power of the 20 Group or the Dealer Performance Group, whatever you want to call it, whoever you're going with, is... It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. The things we've learned and take away make us made us millions of dollars. Um, have, have done things that that we would normally think is the right way to go, but once you listen to other people who've who've deployed them, you figure out it is the right way to go. And and, and things you do, other dealers don't do. It's it's just it's a great way to learn, and it's so powerful. I, you know what else can we say yeah. about? joining one it's uh, it's it, we use this phrase all the time and you guys know it you don't know what you don't know and you just don't i mean that's the that's it surprises me what there's the stat that they shared with us was sixty thousand independent dealers or something yep. and twelve thousand of them are maybe a part of an association yep and out of that a couple hundred are maybe in a or in 20 groups a 20 group or a dealer performance group so it's, it, it, it is a rare rare breed that cares to learn and get better. Yeah, and actually on that note, we are needing some members in our 20 group. Yeah, yeah, well, we take a couple. If we'll you, take if, a couple. If you guys are listeners to the podcast, if you're buy here, pay here, and you got, you know, upward of a 500 accounts. 500 um, plus. Yeah, plus five, three million plus on Receivables, the portfolio. Yeah. yeah, reach out to us, Luke, me, through the podcast. Uh, yeah, well, we take a couple of good. Yeah, a couple of good dealers would be great in our 20 group because um, we just need, we need a few, a yeah. few more few more oh you can never have we well, can't have too many you can't but you find that great mix and it goes forward so luke let's share with the audience a couple of the takeaways we had from this week these last couple of days some of the uh your notes my notes that really really hit home stuff we're going to do the second we get home a1 priorities yeah so everybody out there no matter if you're buy here pay here store or retail store or whatever you know it's all about recon how fast can we get our cars on especially with as much as they're costing us right now. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really hard to get inventory. So whatever you got, you need to make sure it's out there. And I've gone back and forth on, on how to best decide which cars we do first. Yeah. And, you know, it, it comes down to one thing, and it's a consensus, it sounds like, and it's first car in, first car out. And there's no wavering from that. It's a hard thing to grasp because I have been of the mentality of, get out the fast ones you know hey we just bought four or five and i know two or three just need a quick detail and i can get them to the front line i am i have a problem with fast tracking cars because i need them to my front line i'm so desperate to get cars on the lot my manager just sent me a picture of our our front line this morning it looks like a ghost town yeah we're, we're dead empty so my anxiety would be to get those cars detailed throw some brakes on them real quick maybe a set of tires and get them out there because they're quick ones but you're saying not smart. Why is that not smart? Well, the reason I didn't smart is because it creates a backlog of things that need a lot of recon. And so not only does it slow down the entire process, it neglects the entire process. And the next thing you know, you could have, you know, 15 cars that need engines or transmissions or a check engine light that you can't figure out when you should have probably, if that were the issue, you should have farmed it out. Hmm. Let's, you know, do your internal work and farm the, the, the issue out. 
or, or something to that effect. But if you, you know, take the car you bought yesterday and put it to the front of the line, next thing you know, you're going to have, you know, 30 cars over 30 days sitting in that recon line. So it's, it's hard to get our head wrapped around it. And I, I'm one to advertise the car before it's ready. And if we get a deposit, it comes to the front of the line. But I may have to readjust that thought process. I still think you need to market them, mm. but you can set an expectation for the customer. Hey, I understand you want that car in that line, but I can tell you where that car is sitting in line. It's going to be 12 days before it's ready. And the customer can say, actually, that's great because it's going to take me another 12 days to get the rest of my down payment. Um, or you can move them to something else that's similar and they'll buy what's already ready, which is really what you should yeah. be trying to do, right? Yeah, my salesmen are not allowed to look behind the fence. They're not allowed to look at things that aren't ready yet. But definitely, if I have something that I feel like, you know, my goal is to get them uh, inspected within 24 hours of hitting the ground, right? That's because good. I do have some green lights on yeah. some of them and some five-day guarantees that I need to figure out quickly. So we get them inspected right when they hit the ground. And it is, it's hard for the shop manager and the mechanics to not say, well, I'm inspecting this thing. Let me just throw a set of tires on it and brakes and we'll just get it done. Yeah. You know, and that becomes two cars and three cars. And then, yes, all of a sudden the priority for the day gets pushed to the back. And, and yes, then I end up with a whole stack of builder cars taking up my whole back lot mm -hmm. and they don't ever want to tackle them. And so unless you have just a really, really fine-tuned process where nothing's sitting around, I guess you could jump right on the, the five cars that just came off the truck, but you got to be very careful about leaving the projects and always pushing them to the back and pushing and them I, to the back. And I believe in, in one thing as well, and, and I haven't been doing this, but we're going to focus on it, is one internal tech, and that's all it's going to be. And the reason there is I believe if you let multiple technicians do your internal work, you're going to get multiple grades, right? Hmm. The inspection is sure. not going to be the same. I think your recon cost could go up. So I think it's a way to limit recon costs. Um, and if you teach that one guy that, hey, this is what we're doing, this is how we're gonna do it, it should get done quicker and better. Uh, we look back at a bunch of our tickets um, and we averaged them out over, I think about 90 days. And we found that we had 5.7 hours per internal recon car on each mm -hmm. ticket. And you start breaking that down, you can figure it out, but it, it kind of reinforced what I already thought that one internal tech could get 40 cars ready a, a month. And that's where we need to be. Um, and that's where we're going to get to. Mm. So if I can get 40 done every month wow. and we're selling 40, then we're right on target. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great goal. That, that's uh, That would be huge. And I like the idea of having the one tech that you can really keep. You know, we talked about how each tech, sometimes they just have a disposition towards certain things. Yeah. You know, they think every Chrysler needs ball joints. They think every this is going to need a transmission. They think, of course, all techs think everything needs an air filter and a cabin air filter because it flats well, but um, it's easier to keep tabs on those things. Yeah. And then you look at that and, you, and are you tracking that inside of your management software? Does it have the ability to say, hey, I'm going to look at the last six months mm -hmm. and see what percentage of my vehicles, how many of them did I put batteries in? Yeah. What percentage did I do air filters? What percentage did I do brakes and ball joints? Is that is that on is that in line with what it should be? Is that a historical average that I'm doing eighty percent air filters? Yeah. Well, that can't be right. You know, I'm obviously <laughs> we probably do. getting crazy. So, <laughs> but you know, the, the one other could thing could be by design. But yeah, but the one other thing this could do is uh, something that uh, our moderator brought up was was your returns, your policy, uh, WEOs, uh, warranty issues in the first ninety days should be less than thirty percent of the cars you sold. So you should, you should only get those comebacks 30% of the time or less. Hmm. And if you have the same technician doing it exactly the same way and it goes over that 30%, then you could say, hey, 
we have an internal problem, right? Mm. There's a process that's fixed, and you're not pointing the finger at different technicians. Hey, let's train on this. Let's get this better. So I think um, controls are really good, and, and a big way to control this is to have one person that only does internal. But that doesn't mean that you can't have another tech do an internal, but I think if it's over that internal tech's position, then you could schedule it in better and maybe not screw your shop up. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another topic that I, I find really interesting is, um, you know, what, what uh, they refer to as kind of a path to approval. And, you know, we all have, if you're a buy here, pay here dealer, and even if you're a subprime, uh, you've got turndowns, right? You've got folks that are coming in, you're taking all the steps, you're hoping for the best, and you got to turn them down. And a lot of times we just kind of say, hey, sorry, I couldn't get you approved, or, you know, I got you approved, but, uh, you know, CAC is asking for five grand down which is essentially a see you later, you know, and they get a little angry and maybe leave. Are we doing a good enough job of giving these guys uh, a game plan? Mm. Hey, I couldn't get you approved today. My in-house program or my, my subprime lender says you need a little more time on your job. You need to work to a little more down payment. How are we going to get there? That is so interesting. And we've always done this. I, I don't necessarily flat turn anybody down unless they flat need to be turned out, right? So what we'll do is we look and we look at the application and we go, hey, you know, and we see this, I mean, we see this a lot with younger people. Um, they see the cars we have advertised and they're like, I want that car. Well, we say, well, you're working at McDonald's and you're mm -hmm. making you know, maybe $15 an hour at this point, maybe it's whatever it is. We say, you've only been there a month. You really can't afford this car. Mm -hmm. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna show you how you can get there. You stay at McDonald's a year, maybe you get into management, you can make a little more money. You can save up that money. Right now, the best thing you can do is buy a car for cash or get somebody to take you to work right this second. But let's look to the future. How can we get you in a car next year yeah. or later this year? What is the best way? What does that look like for you? You don't get angry turndowns in that situation. You don't get people leaving you bad reviews because you advertise everybody rides. Yeah. Um, it says, okay, you're not approved today, but that doesn't mean you're not approved next week next month, next year. It doesn't, you've got to role play that with your, your finance director or your salespeople, whoever's, whoever's doing the approval. The more you do that, the better reviews you're going to get from turndowns, the more repeat business you're going to get from turndowns. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, or come back. Are your turndowns referring their friends and family to you? Because well, even though they didn't buy yeah. a car, they had a great experience. And that was another something interesting that came up there. If you could take that turndown or that, that person that you gave a path to approval and say, Hey, in the meantime, you know people that do need a car, and actually you know what our program looks right now. I tell you what, we got an approval, we got a referral program, and if you bring me a customer, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars. Yeah, and that's an easy way for you to maybe make your down payment money, right? Yeah, yeah start putting your down payment. Down. I mean, that, I mean, that's a great way to if you could if you could harness that. I think that'd go a long way. Yeah, and I think it's the overall philosophy. If you are a buy here pay here dealer or even subprime, and you're helping these people get back on track. You know, is that really your goal to get these people's credit built up, to get them back on track, to get them graduated into a whatever, you know, low interest rate or cuddle credit union type deal? Honestly, is that really your goal? Honestly, that should be every buy here, successful buy here, pay here store, I believe. Their goal should be that, is to improve that person's credit, to help them get to work, to help them get their kids to soccer practice or whatever. I mean, I really think that that should be a goal of everybody doing this business. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the way to get there, obviously, guys, uh, if you listen to our Tax Max episode a couple months, uh, weeks ago, um, tax season's coming. Yeah, now is. is the time. Get yourself signed up with Tax Max. Uh, I'm going home this week. One of my big priorities is going to get my guys trained 
on the fourth quarter program. Uh, I'm going to start pushing that out to my prime customers, you know, mm -hmm. my current customers, second vehicles, previous purchases, folks low that I have a relationship Yeah, low-balance yeah. people. Yep. Low-balance folks that maybe they need some tax time money to really get into uh, a new car or get out of the negative <clears throat> equity they got on their own. But the ones I have a relationship with are much, much less risky and scary mm -hmm. to do a fourth quarter program with because you know they're not you know, fly-by-nights that are just trying to fleece you. So that's a great place to start the fourth quarter program. Yeah, TaxMax, uh, we're going to do it this year. We've already started training. Uh, we'll get up and rolling. But yeah, for sure, right now is a great time to go ahead and start preparing people. And if you can get those people out early enough and the car is worth reselling again, you're going to get most of the money for it. So trade them up with the fourth quarter program and then start working on your, your tax time program. Yeah, yeah, we definitely need the trade-ins right now. We know that cars are not getting any easier to find, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Luke, what else did you, were you taking home? What are you, what are you tackling this week? I tell you, it's, it's, it's always about pay plans and things like that, that, that you come back and you go, huh, what, how can I motivate my people a little better, right? Yeah. And so um, there was a lot of talk about sales program or sales pay, pay plans here and mm -hmm. the one thing two things I never even thought about and that was to tie in a single salesperson's plan to the sales goal of the dealership and I don't know why it makes like I don't know why I haven't thought about that but mm -hmm. it, it could make the team work better and if you I mean somebody set up that 33% of, of a custom of a salesperson's commission be tied to the total goal of the dealership mm -hmm. sales uh, goal I mean that's a big deal and I think I think it's something yeah. I've never looked at. Yeah. So in my store, I have team bonuses. Uh, after a certain volume, everyone gets 500. After a certain volume, everyone gets 1,000. So the idea behind it is, of course, hey, if you're at lunch and your your customer comes in or if it's your day off, we're still going to sell that car. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's a split. But the overall goal is to get to those, those store goals or the team bonuses that I call them. Uh, you know, we know dealers that do it for every position. Mm -hmm. You know, sales, uh, service lot porters, everyone gets a bonus when the store hits their numbers. Yep. And that's kind of an interesting philosophy too, because then you get service, uh, you get detailers, you get techs, you get uh, clerks all pushing the same direction. Asking how many cars are sold, right? Yeah, trying to get you to that goal every single month yeah. because they know that you know up to 30% of their pay you know, could be based on hitting those goals. Yeah, and, and another thing, um, we haven't gone into this yet, but bonusing your salespeople on credit apps. Uh, one thing that, that we track and what I believe is the fundamental, I guess, best way to see how your marketing is working is how many apps we get every month, right? And some people will say, well, we don't get that many apps. And, and the, I think what could be happening there is your salespeople are brooming the customer, pre-qualifying them before mm -hmm. they get an application. So one thing I may look at, uh, I don't think we have that problem at our dealership, but maybe we, we do have it because we get a good many applications. But uh, bonusing our salespeople on how many credit apps they get as well, mm. um, because that's just extra opportunities. Yeah. It's just like bonusing them on uh, on appointment sets or appointment shows, whatever. But the more the, uh, the basis here is the more applications you get, the more chances you get to to sell a car. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a number you should be tracking anyways. Oh right? yeah, for so sure. It should be a very easy number to pull up and throw a, t a dollar amount to it, uh, and it stops the pre qualifying. I guarantee, if you get look at more of those apps. You're gonna have more sales. If you get if you get a salesperson that comes to you and said, "Hey, I had 20, 20 applications last month and I sold twenty cars," Ooh, that's not a good thing. A good thing problem, selling twenty problem. cars, but they also probably eliminated another forty applications you could have taken, and you probably could have sold, you know, ten of those next forty applications. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The headaches, the the one-offs, the people that just looked at them a little bit sideways <coughs> and they sent them hiking. Yep. Uh, along those lines, um, I was thinking I, I I've got to be more aggressive with my pricing. Yeah. I don't know if you got that. Uh, it's a little <laughs> bit harder because our, our cars are costing us more, and so it's cr it's shrinking my gross margins because I'm too scared to ask for that additional, mm -hmm. you know. 10% over uh, book value or retail, JD Power, whatever. Um, and I think I'm leaving a lot on the table. Well, I, you know, it depends on what your model is, mm -hmm. I believe, and it depends on how you look at it. I, I'm one to think that I should price my car to what the market value of that car is. Mm -hmm. um, if I pay too much for the car, then so be it. It's going to be still be at market value because it's all about getting cars out the door is yeah. my opinion, getting $400 every, every month recurring mm. income. So you can see, maybe, maybe you do have an extra 500,000 you could charge and you could do it simply by going in and upping all your cars, $500 and see what happens. Yeah. And what, what, I guess what also interests me is, you know, when you talk about the folks that have kind of the V auto type model in their business where it's, you know, make a little teeny bit on the front end and then try to make it all up on the back end. Sometimes as, as, as buy-here-pay-here dealers, and I think to a degree subprime, it definitely, definitely helps to have a reinsurance company because now I, I, I would argue I could almost run a buy-here-pay-here model with a little slimmer upfront gross, mm -hmm. but then be able to add the back-end products through my reinsurance company that would make up for my grosses. And, and yes, these are those are, you know, they're put into my reinsurance company and yes, they're, they're refundable, mm -hmm. you know, if the car is sold or canceled yep. or repoed or whatever, the customer could, could ask for that refund if they trade the car in somewhere else because it's a, it's an insurance, it's a you sure. know, service contract it's a or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's kind of the, that's the model. There's opportunity and, there. Yeah. And I, and I've been doing sort of this model for about two or three years and my grosses actually, they went down to start with, but they've come back up. And my back end that was never there is now there. And it's, it's, making, mm -hmm. it's making us a good bit of money to our reinsurance company. And, you know, the good thing about that, a lot of that money, well, it makes money for the dealership and the reinsurance company. And, uh, yes, yeah, that's a good problem to have, right, is getting that back end money. But you've got to have a process in place to make sure your salespeople are selling every product you have. And I'll say this, I've always said this, 100% of the product, 100% of the time, no questions asked. Even if the customer says that's all the – all the payment I can handle, you go, all right, Mr. Customer, I understand that's all the payments you can handle, but let me show you the products we have and the payments that, that'll, that'll take into account. And you have to explain to them the value of, of paying $15 more a month instead of having a motor that's going to cost you $4,000. And so it's all about value add. And, yeah. and, and the best way to do that is, is to present it properly on the back end. And of course, from a dealer, when it is a reinsurance product, it's in your reinsurance company that's deferred revenue, right? Or, yep. or maybe never realized revenue, depending yep. on how you run your reinsurance company. Um, uh, of course, the guys at Buckeye are, are sponsors of this po uh, podcast. Uh, great company to go with if you're looking to add reinsurance. For sure. And that's yeah. a great segue. But uh, Buckeye Dealership Consultant is, uh, is a company that will help you set up the reinsurance company, teach you how to sell product, like I was talking about there, mm -hmm. and introduce you to products that you may not even know exist. And uh, we think, as dealers, that we know everything. But I can tell you what, so many vendors can help you make more money. And Buckeye definitely is, is one of those companies. Yeah. Yeah. Put the money away. And along those lines, Luke, I realized that my, my CPI, my collateral protection insurance, that is a huge revenue source, right? Because it's not that 
And I call it revenue because it's actually money that would have been going to, you know, Geico, Allstate, mm-hmm. someone else is now being redirected to your company, right? Yeah, CPI is something I've been really looking into. And um, I'd kind of, for years, kind of put it off to the side. Well, my cars have too high of an ACV. It's not going to work, not going to work. And, and in the past year, I've really started to rethink that because I have someone in-house at all she does is insurance. So mm-hmm. we, we've started tracking some different things. And I truly believe that, uh, and after talking to so many other people uh, in 20 Group, that CPI is a product that will make us a lot of money. Yeah, and, and what I like about it is it's like with my reinsurance, my service contracts, my gap, I've got to front that money, right? So I'm kind of, I'm kind of, pay, I'm fronting it for the customer, and I'm sending it to my reinsurance company, um, and I'm maybe slowly collecting it over time, hopefully. The beauty of that CPI is it is literally money that's being redirected elsewhere. Your customers are paying it anyways to somebody. So why not send it to you? I mean, the numbers are huge. Huge. And what's also interesting is you're going to probably save your customer money. So some people's insurance, some people's full coverage insurance is as much as their car payment. Mm -hmm. And so if you can reduce that cost for your customer, how better your account's going to collect out? Mm -hmm. And they're making it at one spot. They're not having to wait for this check to pay this and they're just doing it one time it's so interesting i I hope people out there and there's probably people out there listening way smarter than we are that's already done this and it's taken us this long to figure it out right yeah 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 i I just that was one of my large takeaways is i I need to make sure i'm i'm not only using it as an option at the time of sale to 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 not to eliminate their full coverage requirement but but also force placing it after the fact more mm-hmm. aggressively. Being yeah. on top of people that are dropping their coverage or having their own deductibles, force placing my CPI, and then following through on actually collecting it and, yeah. and making it a serious I think I think I think the force place is a little harder to collect. But uh, if you get your collectors on board and your insurance people on board and they explain it to the customer, you can get it done. Yeah. Luke, any other uh, takeaways? Um, you know, it's we were we were a lot of sales focused here in, in talking about uh, setting appointments, which we we know is big. I think we've we've gone over that a little bit. But um, what's your opinion right now? Because we're still, I mean, we're still talking about COVID. I don't know how much COVID's affecting people out there, but um, it's all about setting the appointment, getting people in. Are are you okay with that right now? Or you know, where are you? I'm in the state of Utah, so I'm I'm wide open. Uh, we don't have any restrictions anymore. I have an interesting philosophy on it. I I do. Anecdotally, I don't have evidence to back this up. I feel like my sales have been hurt because my salesmen are trying to communicate our program via text message or via email or maybe on the phone to a degree, and they're wanting to get these people fully approved before they even walk on the lot, right? And that we, we kind of talk about that. What, what is this fully approval before you come here? You know what I think is I think we might be losing out Hmm. on some incremental sales for people that don't buy the vision or don't get it over the phone or by text or don't see or or they're just kind of getting that information and they're moving on to the next one seeing how many approvals they can get Uh, my appointment to sell ratio is huge right right yeah and that's the point like hey you're already approved just show up okay I got an appointment for tomorrow for you to pick up your car of course my appointment to delivery (laughs) ratio is gonna be large my problem is my application to appointment I think is struggling because my guys are just not able it's just impossible to communicate a buy here pay here program via text message you know to sell the value to give them the vision to get the emotions going 
So I do, I do think I might start pushing back the other way and just go back to the old adage of, hey, get them on the phone and get an appointment. Don't talk about the program, don't gather stips, don't try to do anything, just tell them to come in with their pay stubs and their down payment. I think there's a fine line we gotta walk here. Um, you know, during, during the first part of COVID, we did a strictly do not walk, do not come to this store if you're not approved, yeah. right? We, we actually followed that for six months. It was probably the six best months of sales we've ever had. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I think there's a, there's a fine line we need to walk. Hmm. We need a process in place and you can test this by the way. You can look at, you know, getting people in there and see, setting the appointment first and approve them there and see what happens. Uh, you can do that for a month and you can do the other for a month and see which works best. But it's an interesting concept that uh, I'm not necessarily going to adopt yet, but it, um, I might. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there is some power of having the customer in front of you, you know, selling the vision, selling the car, you know, following your process. So I, I don't know. I think we I think sometimes we look at some of these things we did during COVID mm-hmm. look like they paid off. You know, they look like, hey, I, I did a complete virtual deliveries and it was amazing. And hey, I took all my collectors and s- outsourced everything to Taiwan and my <laughs> collections are awesome. But what you've got to understand is everyone's sales were amazing for a season. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. collections were amazing for a season. So not some of that is not necessarily due to your policy changes. It could be due to so just the, the market time. factors yeah. in general. And now that we're back to slugging it out like, it, you know, you, like, like your normal times, maybe we need to go back to some of those tried and true methods. That is very interesting. It's almost back to basics. And the basics are, you know, you, you, you use the phone to get an appointment. You get the appointment to close the deal, right? Yeah. And so maybe it is back to basics. And uh, not to say that the, the way we were doing it won't continue to work, but get back to basics. Uh, uh, role play, train, uh, take yourself to conventions, uh, join a 20 group, our dealer performance group. Yeah. Talk to other dealers, listen to podcasts, get better, know what you're doing, right? Yep. That is awesome, Luke. I think that's the biggest takeaways is just stay at it. You that's know? it. That's it. All right, buddy. Safe travels. Yeah. Yeah, you too. So glad you joined us. Please take a minute to leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. The Independent Dealer Podcast. Dealers helping dealers.